1: Hi, I'm Glennon Doyle, author of Untamed and host of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. On We Can Do Hard Things, my wife, Abby, my sister, Amanda, and I do the only thing we've found that has ever made life any easier. We drop the fake and we just talk really raw and honestly about all the hard parts of life. So come on over and join us and some of our friends and greatest heroes like former First Lady Michelle Obama, Tracy Ellis Ross, Gloria Steinem, Elizabeth Gilbert, Brandy Carlisle, Brene Brown, and our beloved community, the Pod Squad. You'll hear refreshingly honest conversations, trust me, about sex, gender, parenting, blended families, our bodies, anxiety, addiction, feeling overwhelmed, just all of it. Life is hard, so let's do it together. Meet us every Tuesday and Thursday for We Can Do Hard Things, one of Apple and Spotify's top shared podcasts of 2023. Listen to and follow We Can Do Hard Things, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Summon your
2: anticipation for an all new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.
3: Welcome to the Laverne Cox Show, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio.
4: I felt like I was juggling stuff, just things that needed to be juggled and that needed to stay in my life. And then there were things that I didn't need to juggle that didn't need to be in my life. But at, you know, at 22, 23, 24 years old, it's hard to, to figure that out. And you're grieving. That's hard.
3: Welcome to the Laverne Cox Show. My name is Laverne Cox. I love a diva. <laughs> what can I say? Diva worship is a huge part of my life. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. It started early and I just I just can't quit a diva. And the quintessential diva for me is the operatic diva, specifically the soprano. And... Oh, I'm so excited that I get to have a conversation with one of the world's leading operatic sopranos, Angel Blue. And, you know, Angel is a diva, but she's not a diva in any way that would sort of be pejorative about a diva. She's a diva because she's the prima donna of the opera world, because she sings lead roles in opera houses all over the world. But she's one of the sweetest people I've probably ever met. She's so humble and she's so just... just, kind. And in 2019, she opened the Metropolitan Opera's season, saying um, Bess, the title role in George Gershwin's Porgy and Bess. And I got to go to the dinner after the premiere of the opera and I met Angel for the first time and she just gave me a really big hug and we've been friends ever since. I just want to chat with her about her career, about life, about singing, and we do it anyway privately, so I thought, why not do it in public for all of you? So, here we go. Angel Joy Blue is a two-time Grammy award-winning operatic soprano who has performed in over 40 countries with the world's most esteemed orchestras and conductors. She's sung many of the most iconic roles in opera like Violetta in La Traviata and the title roles in Tosca and Aida. This season, she'll be debuting the role of Leonora in Verdi's Il Trovatore at the San Francisco Opera. Angel opened the Metropolitan Opera's 2019-2020 season in a new production of Porgy and Bess. She also opened the Met's 2021-22 season with a new opera, Fire Shut Up in My Bones. Angel Blue was originally a California girl and completed her musical studies at UCLA. But now, when she's not performing all over the world, she lives in New Jersey with her husband and son. Please enjoy my conversation with Angel Blue.
4: My dad that you see back there, my friend. And I also see
3: a Leontine Price poster. I'm trying to think of that photo. I'm yes. trying to think of where that photo is from. Leontine Price. That and looks then... like 70s Price. Yes. Is that, is that an Opera News that, cover? N- what is that? Just her, Price.
4: Um, that's from her Carnegie Hall
3: recital, I believe.
4: And uh, that was the... Was it her
3: Carnegie Hall um, debut in 65? Is it 60s? No, that looks more like 70s. No, that's, that's, in the, that's
4: in the 70s, but... Um, yeah. I don't actually know. I had to look. Um, there's another picture of her underneath that, and and it covers up the date. But next to her is Grace Bunbury. These are just my uh-huh. my wall of my favorites. You can't see this side. This, I have the old Met here. Um, and I have mm. pictures of my the new opera singers of today. But then I have my dad. Of course, my dad's all over this wall. And then my voice yeah. teacher, Vladimir Chernov. he's up a little bit higher. You can't see him. I'm going to try to mm. move. Let's see if I can move Beautiful. the camera Yeah, there's Vladimir. Beautiful, beautiful. And uh, then I have Maria Callas. Where is she? She's here. And this is, the Mm. top is, I got that from La Scala. That's where um, it says La Traviata, and the first name says Angel Blue, and I was like, "Oh, I have to have one of those." I also have a really um, big one, yeah, but I don't, yeah, I don't know where do. to put it yet. It's, it's kind of weird to put up posters, so I haven't, I haven't done that yet.
3: It's not in my apartment. In my <laughs> LA apartment, I have like almost every magazine cover I've been on I have posters. They're up, girl. Really? In my LA apartment, they're every. Oh yes, oh, yes <laughs> it's, it's a mess. Anyway, hello, Angel Joy Blue. Welcome to the podcast. How are you feeling today? Oh, I'm,
4: I'm so happy to be here with you. You know, I adore you. So thank you for inviting me to be here with you and share this time.
3: I adore you as well. I love that we just got started talking about, like, your, your <laughs> opera inspiration and all the divas that you and I both love. And you just mentioned La Scala. And um, yes. I just... Oh. God, La Scala. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things, if you're an <laughs> opera fan, for those people who aren't opera fans, La Scala is kind of the temple of mm-hmm. opera. I mean, the Met is incredible, but if you know opera, L- the La Scala Opera House is is one of the temples of opera, yeah. and you've sung there many times. And you are the first Black woman to sing Violetta at La Scala, the first Black woman to sing Violetta in La Traviata at the Metropolitan Opera, and I believe at Covet <laughs> Garden as well. Am I
4: correct? I think so, yes.
3: And your voice teacher, when you were twenty years old, said to you when you shared that you wanted to sing Violetta and Traviata that there would never be a black Traviata. I saw that quote, and I was. And I, do you know why your voice teacher said there would never be a black La Traviata? What do you think that's about?
4: I think it wasn't actually my voice teacher it was a voice coach, but I mean, yeah. I, I think at the time it was just it was more of me and how I was as a singer at the time. I was I was young, and it was really hard for me to learn music. It was really hard for me to understand the. Att- Italian and to understand phrasing and all of those sort of simple things, you know, the basics of opera. Also, I believe it that that it was said to me because at the time I was doing beauty pageants and my talent song was opera. People might not like that I call "Sempre Libera" a great aria, a song, but essentially that's what it is. And so my Mm -hmm. talent song was "Sempre Libera," and at the time I was singing it all of the time, and I wanted to sing that. Somewhere, anywhere, you know, and and my big dream was to sing it at La Scala. So I was told, you know, that's a big dream, Angel have a little a more achievable dream. And I, I think it was just mainly said because it hadn't been done before.
3: But what about, what of the race piece? What's confusing to me is the black yeah. Violetta. Why the black part? I mean, to, to, for any for any singer to aspire yeah. to sing at La Scala is a big deal, right. you know? And if very any true. singer to sing Traviata is a big deal, it's very difficult. But why the black piece?
4: I don't know. I would. I probably because it hadn't happened. Or? I think because it hadn't happened. I honestly, I think it's just it was just probably the time, and and really, why say the word black? Probably because that's that was. That's their own limitation. That was not mine, clearly. Clearly. You know, in my mind, and this man, this wonderful man behind me, my dad, who's constantly pushing me at the time my dad was alive. And he's just telling me, you know, Angel, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And and I, I've i just lived that with that sentiment in my heart, Black or not Black, you know what I mean? My, yeah. my goal has always just been to sing opera. And um, there's always these people that come in and try to dismiss your dreams or lessen what you want to do or make less of who you are. Mm. And um, I refuse. I refuse to let that happen. You know, by God's grace, I pray that God helps me with that. But I refuse to let that happen. Amen. I wonder if
3: there's something about Violetta being a courtesan, but then you think about a Carmen or a Dalila who are, you know, less respectable. So I (laughs) I really don't understand. Yeah, I don't get it. But how wonderful... Can you take us back to—you had already sung at La Scala, if I recall correctly. You were a last-minute replacement. if You had to, a few yes. weeks yes. to prepare. You had just debuted the role at Covent Garden. Right. And can you take us back to preparing, getting the call? It was historic. What was going on for you? Yes.
4: Well, you know, our words are powerful. We've talked about this, and you've been a— mm-hmm a really big supporter of mine and I have to speak the right things. I know that, you know, I'm I'm learning that as I get older and I'm seeing it. I I made my debut at Covent Garden um, in January of 2019 and I had just sung the opera and I went to my room and I was just sitting there and I was kind of contemplating the evening and out of nowhere, I kind of looked up and I said, Lord, if you had it for me to sing this at La Scala, I would. Mm. And I just thought, if, if it came to it, you know, I was like, wow, you're prepared. Mm. You're, you're really prepared for this role. But three years prior to that, I had been telling people, uh, my close friends, I had been saying things like my, my dream was to sing La Traviata at, at Teatro La Scala in Milan. So I went home after I sang at the Royal Opera House. And, um, you know, my husband and I were getting ready to go to Napa, California. At the time, I lived in California, and we were getting ready to drive up to Napa. Um, to, I was going to sing at Festival del Sole. And I woke up, my manager texted me and he said, call me as soon as you get this. And I called him and he said, Angel, would you like to sing La Traviata at La Scala? And I said, um, yeah, yeah, of course. You know, in opera, they, they schedule things years and years in advance. So I'm thinking, mm-hmm. okay, it's going to be in like 2025. And I said, when is it? And he goes, next week. And I said, next week? <laughs> and, and he said, yeah, next week. And so I said, you've got to be kidding me. He goes, no, honey, it's next week. And I said, okay. And he said, you can go to Festival Del Sole, and then you're going to have to pack and you go. And, oh, Laverne, I was ready. Oh, thank God. I was ready. Because, like, you know, when mm. you get an opportunity like that, and if you're not ready... That's just a it's like it feels devastating, you know, but I was so thankful at that time that I was ready. And I was my husband mm-hmm. was excited and I looked at him and I said, I'm going to go to Italy. And he was like, go, go. This is awesome. This is great. You know, he was thrilled. And of course, my mom, mm-hmm. my family, everybody was. And I'm just I'm thankful that out of all of the opera singers, because we know there's so many. Out of all of the sopranos, out of all the people that they could have asked to come, you know sopranos right there in Milan, right there in around the city and or just on a train ride to to Milan, you know they they asked me to get on a plane all the way in l a and come over and and sing and i I will forever be grateful and so thankful for that moment, forever. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm. Yeah. So you get there and and you're singing with Placido Domingo who yes. you won his competition and it worked with him before talked to us about just getting there and the rehearsal process. So you have a week. So what was it like once you arrived?
4: It was amazing. I I had been to Milan before, several times before. I've, yeah. I actually did a tour of Italy when I was 26 years old. So I've been all over the country. I understand the culture very well. I guess I could say I was immersed in the culture when I was younger. And um I felt like a rock star, truly, mm. because the people in the city of Milan, just that the vicinity of the opera house, is this gorgeous place called the Duomo, this big church, and um, all of the restaurants and the people, they knew that I was coming to sing. So mm. I'm walking down the street, and the people in the restaurant are like, um they don't call me Angel, they call me Angela. And so they're like, Angela, Angela, toy toy toy, 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 Angela. And I'm I'm like, what? You know, why are these strangers <laughs> saying toy 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 to me? And mm-hmm. I'm saying, you know, grazie, thank you, thank you. For their
3: um listeners. Oh yes. Toy 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 is like it's break a leg or yes. good luck. It's good luck for opera singers.
4: Yes, good luck leg. for opera singers. And um I I went to this restaurant and I think this is what really kinda hit me the hardest was that I went to this gorgeous restaurant. I had this delicious lasagna. And the um, gentleman who brought me my food looks at me and he says, you are the first black traviata. Mm. And I said, am I? And I mean, I didn't know. Hello. No. Do you like the food? Do you want anything else? None of that. That's what he said to me. And in and, and English too. And, and I said, oh, I said, am I? And he said, you will be perfect Perfect. And if you're hungry, come here. And I said, okay. He said, we want to make sure that you do a very, very, very good job. And I just that that just made me feel, you know, mm. I, I think that was um, it's beautiful, just a wonderful experience, a wonderful moment. What's so
3: What's so beautiful about that moment is that there's a city that is that immersed in opera that that they're so excited, absolutely, um, and and that he knows it's just a random person coming up to you and telling you that you're making history. Yes there's something so beautiful about that. And I love that we have some video of the yes. moment. There's some wonderful video with you and Domingo that's online. And um, uh, David Carlin of Bach Track wrote of your Covent Garden debut in Traviata, Blue's voice has complete security of pitch, a warm bath of a timbre, and a lovely sense of lilt and shape to the phrases. She also has the acting ability to make you utterly believe in what you're seeing. In the deathbed scene, I don't think I ever seen a more convincing interpretation of a woman who is desperate to summon up strength but is simply incapable of standing straight. Her interpretation of the end, with Violetta's last false hope flaring brightly before fizzling to nothing, was spellbinding. And she excelled in pure vocal terms, with a strong delivery of the big aria, Sempre Libra and Adil del Pasato. I love. I mean, reviews are sort of whatever. But what I love about that review is that I had the pleasure of seeing you sing Traviata at the Met when you made your um, role debut there yes. earlier this year. I got to be in the audience, and I felt. Um, I, I mean, I, I it's, it's my favorite opera, and it just it's I'm always deeply moved by it. But that scene, the, the Adio Adio Passato scene, that scene was so. Oh, I just don't even have words for it. It was just so moving, and the the acting. Actually, I have a little recorded. <laughs> uh- <laughs> When you hear that, when you hear that, what comes up for you, this role that has meant so much to you, that you aspire to sing, that you've made history to sing?
4: I guess I just think that it's it's true. You know, she calls herself a fallen woman, and she asks God to help her, to have mercy on her in that moment. And, you know, you said earlier, what's what's the difference between Carmen and Dalila and, and Violetta? Um, Dalila is, she's kind of, you know, my opinion, she's wicked. Carmen, my opinion, she's wicked at their core. They're, they're, it's a selfish
3: kind of a thing. I would say Carmen's is, is independent. Yes. She's in cavalier. I would, Dalila is wicked. Dalila is. Carmen is, is independent <laughs> and uh, y- it could be read as wicked for sure because yes. she gives no F's. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> She's like, Libra et Jacine, Libra <laughs> et les mouras. Free I was born and free I will die, she yes. sings. Yes. Um, that there's a defiance that Carmen has. Zalila right. is wicked. But with Violetta, you, you say, the difference yes. for you is what?
4: I think is that she's a self-sacrificing woman. She's a, a, a woman who's willing to put her needs, her desires, what she wants aside for other people.
0: Yeah.
4: And, and I think what she said is very true. I, I would call Carmen defiant. That's a, very, a better word than wicked, is that she is definitely defiant, going to do what mm-hmm. she wants to do. But I think that's interesting because they are all... So this sort of courtesan kind of a thing, but but with Violetta, I think in her heart, at the core of her of her person, she's someone who deeply cares about other people and
3: wants to be loved, and wants, wants to, to be, be loved, loved. And, and is indeed in love yes. in a really beautiful way. Absolutely, yeah. And and yeah. she the the way she dies too is very different um, than yeah. Carmen.
4: And she, she has the opportunity to have her whole family around her, you know, her the people who care about her the most when she's dying. I suppose all of that just kind of, you know, I when I am interviewed, I talk about my dad a lot and, you know, I've spoken to you a lot about him. And yeah. when my father passed away, all of us were there. We we're five children and we were all around mm. the hospital bed and my mom was standing there at the head of the bed, you know, looking over my dad. And, and that's the, you know, if you're going to go, that's a beautiful way to do it with the people that you mm. love the most around you. That's mm. the the beautiful thing about La Traviata to me is that in the end, she really does. She gets what she wants before she goes to heaven, I yeah. believe. And that's all that love. For
3: those who don't know, um, Angel's father was a minister and her first voice teacher. He
4: started yeah. training you when you were six years old, I believe. Yes. Do you want to tell a little bit about your father? Yeah, he was just a, a like you. He's from Alabama. How do you not like him? You know, Bama people. Mm. And um, he, as you said, he was a minister, he was a pastor for... Gosh, I want to say that my parents ministered for like 35, 36 years, and um, he was a classically trained singer. So, my dad, um, when he was younger, they moved to Cleveland, Ohio, and he went to the Cleveland Conservatory of Music and he studied. Voice he sang under James Levine in the chorus and and you know he 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 loved opera and what's great is it's kind of a generational thing so my grandfather Grandpa James he liked Enrico Caruso don't ask me why a coal miner from Alabama mm. likes Enrico Caruso but he did and he was in a barbershop quartet and so then of course my dad picks that up he falls in love with like U C Burling and Luciano Pavarotti and of course Plácido Domingo and that was a very crazy connection for me because I ended up singing with Maestro Domingo for years you know and mm-hmm. he became my mentor and that was so strange because when my father passed away it was about i think 2 months to the date that I met maestro domingo and it was just very mm. very wild you know it was amazing actually because mm. my dad kept saying when you sing for domingo he's going to love you and he's going to help you you know and and that he did but my father was mm. just someone who really loved opera and it brought him a lot of joy you should have seen he had the biggest smile and he would listen to like he would listen to, like, um, Pagliacci. Pagliacci is the clown. The opera is the clown. Yeah. And this, this man is, um, he's lamenting in this aria. And my dad would have that on so loud in the kitchen. I mean, loud. <laughs> but he was joyful, and he'd be smiling and all of that. That's that's one of the main mm. reasons why I sing, because opera brings mm. me joy, you know? So that's that's a tiny, tiny bit about my dad. He was an amazing man. I'm very honored. I will always be honored to be his daughter. And, and, and singing is a connection to your father as well i was I was just thinking about
3: how and I got very emotional thinking about your father passing and then facilitating yes, in heaven facilitating that meeting with Domingo facilitating yes so many things the gift for me of the people who have passed in my life that um I feel like they've become my angels I really mm-hmm. do i get I get very emotional with because I have a lot of angels, oh my goodness um so he's clearly I mean. Yes, La Scala, all the, thi- all the things, you know, he's your angel.
4: You want to know something weird?
3: Yes. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> I don't normally talk about this, but since you said that, you said angels and then you said La Scala. This might sound weird, but this happened to me after rehearsal. I was, we were doing act two and I was rehearsing with Maestro Domingo and the scene between the character Violetta and her boyfriend's dad, Germont. And we rehearsed it and I went and I grabbed some water in my bottle. Uh, before I went back to the hotel. And as I'm filling up this water bottle, I had the strongest, strongest sensation that my dad was standing behind me with that big smile. And it was so real that when I I, I was like, wait, is he there? And I turned almost like, you know, did dad just skip off to Italy and not tell us or something? And I turned Mm. around and of course he wasn't standing there, but it was like his presence was there. It was just... It was like mm. the Lord was letting me know that my dad can see what I'm doing. You know, he could see that I. I guess he always told me that I would sing. He always said that you know it's a blessing when you have a family member or or anybody in your life, a coach, somebody who really encourages you like that and is constantly letting you know when you don't feel like you can sing or when you don't feel like you're good at what you do or hey, there's no hope here. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful to have that person who's like, no, you're mm-hmm. doing the right thing. You just keep like I said before, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. He said, angel, mm-hmm. you'll win if you don't quit. My dad used to always say that to me, mm-hmm. and I do I've, in my own way. I feel like I've won, you know, and I and he. He's over my shoulder now, but he really is, you know, he really has been such a a driving force and a huge blessing to me in this opera career. And when I was getting that water at La Scala, I took that to mean that you know. he could see me there.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. We'll be right back.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X
1: Hi, I'm Glennon Doyle, author of Untamed and host of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. On We Can Do Hard Things, my wife, Abby, my sister, Amanda, and I do the only thing we've found that has ever made life any easier. We drop the fake and we just talk really raw and honestly about all the hard parts of life. So come on over and join us and some of our friends and greatest heroes like former First Lady Michelle Obama, Tracy Ellis Ross, Gloria Steinem, Elizabeth Gilbert, Brandy Carlisle, Brene Brown, and our beloved community, the Pod Squad. You'll hear refreshingly honest conversations, trust me, about sex, gender, parenting, blended families, our bodies, anxiety, addiction, feeling overwhelmed, just all of it. Life is hard, so let's do it together. Meet us every Tuesday and Thursday for We Can Do Hard Things, one of Apple and Spotify's top shared podcasts of 2023. Listen to and follow We Can Do Hard Things, in Odyssey podcast, available now for free. On the Odyssey app and everywhere you get your podcasts.
2: Summon your anticipation for an all new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton the Official Podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is Betrothal written in the stars for the Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who Drops starting
0: May 2nd. All righty, we're back. I
3: remember seeing an interview that you did, and I remember when you were at UCLA and some of the struggles you had there. And I don't know if you want to talk about that, because I think, you know, you said you were having trouble learning music. And what was
4: that about? And has that shifted for you? Is it easier to learn music now? first I want to say thank you for the question because I think sometimes maybe now opera singers are, are more open to talking about their struggles in music. Um, I'm very thankful that my parents gave me piano lessons when I was little. I, my mom taught me first and, and then I had a piano teacher. It's very similar to how I, how I study voice. I play several instruments. I play the badly. I play the alto saxophone, but I still pull it out every now and again. I have my bass mm-hmm. guitar right here. Um, so I'm a musician for sure. But um Opera presented the problem of learning quickly. How do you learn fast and efficiently? Mm -hmm. And so... Um, right now I'm working on Il Trovatore. That's the next thing I have coming up. And I'm going to show you. And
3: you haven't sung Trovatore yet. You were supposed to debut Trovatore, if I recall, during the pandemic and at LA Opera. And obviously the pandemic happened. Yes. And so where are you singing Trovatore um, in the fall, I think? Uh, San
4: Francisco Opera in, in, in September. So I'm just going to show you. So basically with, with the music. What what really has helped me, and this is gonna, this is, I'm just being totally honest. is real right now. This is like my diary. But with the Mm -hmm. music, I'm gonna put it here, if you can see it. Like you see those, you see those big lines, right? Mm -hmm. So those lines are my saving grace. These vertical lines going up and down, and those are just the big beats. That was the hardest, which is weird because I play the bass, so I of course understand the rhythm, you know. But that was the hardest thing for me was to understand rhythmically just how things work. When I started getting better at Italian, then I understood that the rhythm was inspired by the words, by the text. And when I understood that the music was inspired by the text, the text inspires the the acting, the 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 drama essentially. And sometimes the drama's really heavily in the orchestra, sometimes the drama's uh, it's always going to be in the text, but most of the time it's in the rhythm. All of those things mm. just kind of came to me. But I didn't really understand that when I was, you know, 20, 21 years old at UCLA. Um, and I, I had an interesting time because I was doing, I was, my father passed away. And when my dad passed away, I dropped out of the opera at UCLA. At the same time, though, I was an intern at LA Opera for the Young Artists Program. I was also doing Miss California at the time. That was my last year at Miss California. It was a, just a ton of things going on. Musically, I felt lost because I felt like there were, you know, opera is filled with many facets. There's just, they're sorry. There's so much to it. And I just... Having all of these, I felt like I was juggling stuff, just in things that needed to be juggled and that needed to stay in my life. And then there were things that I didn't need to juggle that didn't need to be in my life. But, at, you know, at 22, 23, 24 years old, it's hard to, to figure that out. And you're grieving. That's hard. So that really, when I talk about the struggle, the struggle for me was the struggle of how do I learn this quickly? You know, singing is, I would say it's like being an athlete because the thing has to be in your body. When you get on stage, you don't want to be thinking, oh, wait, what's the next note? Oh, wait, what's that word? Oh, no. You want to be on autopilot and just be able to go. So all of these things were just kind of going on at that time. And, you know, I'm I'm well past 24 years old now, and I still look at that time and I think, wow, how did you Mm -hmm. get through that? how did you get through? I mean, I honestly, I think my, for sure, my faith, 100% my faith and, and my family helped me a lot. You know, I had my mom, I'm, I'm number four or five and I, everything was keep going, keep going, keep going. Well, remember dad said, remember dad used to say, Mm. um, there was one point I know that people can't see me, but I, at one point I started breathing with my shoulders. And so I was taking breaths and lifting up my shoulders and my sister my sister said, Angel, hey, remember, dad said when you sing, you need to be relaxed. And I had to remember mm. those things. I had to to just mm. remember, I guess, my roots and what what they were. But also, you know, I, I will tell you this. I know that God gave me the talent that I have for a reason. And I know yeah. that he he said he'll never leave me or forsake me. And even in those moments where I feel like I'm alone or like I'm forsook, I'm not. And I have to remember yeah. that. I think, you know, it, it was important to, to, to try to just keep going. And as hard as that was, um, I did. And then I had the opportunity also to go to Europe. Uh, by that point, I was 26. And that really helped me a lot because mm-hmm. I, saw, I, I saw a different, completely different side of opera from the European perspective. And I, I, I believe with all my heart that Europe gave me my career. The career that I have today, I have because I went to Spain, because I went to Italy. I spent all those years in Germany. Still don't speak very good German, but I've spent so much time there in Austria and all of those places learning, you know. And, and thankfully, I still can say that I still travel to those places, still learning, you know, still mm-hmm. trying to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going.
3: Wonderful, amazing. Oh gosh, I love 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 this. So you recently made your debut as Aida, the the Ethiopian princess yes. at Covent Garden. How did it feel? Aida is one of those tricky operas because it's very for those people who don't know opera, it's there's very legato singing that's required and then there's very dramatic singing that is required. So how was it singing Aida?
4: Yes, um honestly, three words. It is hard. You know, it's hard. It's not an easy role. It's just, it's not. And, um, I think what, what makes it so hard is that it's so, it's weird because there's not a lot of music. It's not a lot of singing. Um, it's the title character. So with the title character that comes a lot of pressure, just period, just psychologically, just thinking the opera's called Aida, I'm singing Aida, you know, just whatever that means in your mind. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's there's that whole sort of obstacle first. And then after that, there's all of the things that follow musically. Um, I think of everything as just being lyric. I I try not to think, oh, this is the strongest part of the opera and I have to give it all. I don't. I, I try to just be as lyrical as possible. And I think a lot of that comes with what the composer is asking the singer to do, you know, don't yes. do something the composer doesn't say to do and and go with go with what the conductor is doing. I'm not a singer who tries to out sing the orchestra or do something different than the orchestra is doing. That's weird. You know, I want to be mm-hmm. with them because we're an ensemble. So, I mean, with, with that, I have to say my favorite part of, of Aida was the hardest part was Act 3. Act 3 mm. is, is wild. So you start out with this, O Patria Mia. Oh Patria Mia is my homeland. She's talking about where she's from and, and how she misses it. She describes where she's from. She says, you know, these, the, the fresh valleys and the rolling hills, and she misses it. And then she has to sing this beautiful, hopefully piano, high C yeah, and and then f- and, and how do you how do you explain a high C? I don't know how to explain a high C.
3: Um, it's a it's a really high note.
4: <laughs> it's it, you know, for
3: a soprano, it's one of those money notes for a soprano that you gotta you gotta have a high C. You know, right? Yeah, it's a it's a really high note. I'm trying to think. Oh, for um, Beyonce fans, Beyonce in Emotions <laughs> with Destiny's Child, that note Beyonce hit in her head voice is a high. It's C. Is a high
4: C? That's right. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. That's a high C. And it's not easy no. to sing a high C. It's, it's it's easy if you're just shouting it out, you know, if it's like a loud high C.
3: But it's the phrase in Patria Mia, it's the climb up to the sea. Yes. It's something I do. It's just as an exercise.
4: Yes, it is a very good exercise. And every I think the thing that's probably, I would say, scary about it is just that everybody knows it's coming. And, you know, for myself, I enjoyed it because... That that aria for me, where it sits in my voice, is an easier place for me to sing. So I was okay with it. You know, I, I'm not going to say that I landed the high C perfectly every single time I sang it, but I definitely felt more comfortable in that section than I did in the section that follows it after the duet with her dad. So her her dad comes in in ah. Act Three after she sings this beautiful aria. And basically tells her off because she is in love with the the enemy. She's in love with the enemy. <laughs> yeah,
3: oh, girl, <laughs> her, it's a mess.
4: It is a mess. <laughs> and her dad comes in and he's getting on her and telling her that you know you're not my daughter. You're the slave of the pharaohs, is what he says to her. Then after mm-hmm. that, uh, they they reconcile by her saying, "Okay, I'll you know I'll do this for my country." Basic spy on ratamays? It- yes, to find out where the enemy's army will be going, and then the next thing that happens is her boyfriend comes in, and that whole part is very dramatic, but it's low. It's all low in the soprano's voice. So, in that moment, I thought you're just talking. You're just you're just speaking. Don't try to be super loud. And I had a, we we had a great conductor. His name is Sir Mark Elder, and you know he was very sensitive to the fact that that's not the strongest part of my voice of uh, most sopranos. That's not the strongest part of their voice. And, uh, he's like, don't worry, don't worry. You can, you can still be heard. So I don't know my experience with Aida, it's hard, but it was definitely a challenge. I, I welcomed, I, I look forward to singing it again. I, I don't believe I have it in, in my schedule until I want to say 2024, 20, yeah, 24 next year, the end of next year. Okay. And so I'm, okay. I'm looking forward to it, but it's, you know, it's, it's totally different than La Traviata and it's totally different than Il Trovatore. If I had to put them, you did not ask me this. I'm just this is just me thinking Verdi because I've been reading this book on him. And um I knew he was amazing, but I didn't know how amazing until I started singing all of this music. Yeah. I would say Traviata's first, Il Trovatore is second, and then Aida is third for me.
3: In terms of your favorites?
4: I think so, yeah. Yeah. Also, you know, Aida, you have you go through the evening being called names and stuff, and you know having this crazy duet with Amneris. That's not easy either.
3: <laughs> oh, the <laughs> oh, the Judgment Girl. <laughs> yeah, Amneris <that's> the Amneris <laughs> scene is because Amneris for the people for the people who don't know, she and Radames are officially yes. together. Yes. So R- Radames is cheating right. <laughs> on
4: Amneris, Amneris
3: with... with you with Aida. Yes. So she's confronting her, and she's like, "Girl." Yes. Why, why are you with my man? And you, you know, you're <laughs> supposed to be my servant, my my slave. Mm-hmm. But Aida says she's never a slave, always a princess. She never bowed, Daenerys. Uh- you see those <laughs> clips
4: of Price. If you see those clips of Price, there's there's a, a video of her with Simon Estes. I believe it's from the Met. I think it's her last Aida in 1982. Yes.
3: 85 was her last Aida. 85.
4: Yes. Thank you. And um. He, uh, what is his name? The dad, Amanazaro, the oh, yes. father of Aida. He pushes her, and she goes clear to the ground, clear to the ground. And then she does this thing where she looks up and she puts her hands up. And I was like, wow, that's nice. You know, that is her father, and he is the only one who has that kind of control and and say so over her hmm
3: There's this beautiful story that Simon Estes tells when they sang for the first time together in San Francisco, where uh-huh. she just, she was like, there's a Black king. She was so I think it was, it was Aida, I think. Um, wow. And she, and he was playing her father. This, he, this, I think it was late 70s. She was just so excited yeah. that there was a Black man, you know, because, yeah. you know, the, Black men in opera, it's been, it's been a struggle, a different kind of struggle than yeah. for Black women. And she told him, it was just going to be harder for you than oh. it was for me. Anyway. Wow. Uh. Leontine Stories. I could go on with Leontine Stories for the rest of my life. I know. I know you love her. (laughs) You are a two-time Grammy Award-winning opera singer for your recordings of Porgy and Bess and Fire Shut Up in My Bones. Congratulations. Thank you. You also opened two different seasons of the Metropolitan Opera in those operas. And I remember we had dinner and I was just like, girl, you are opening the Met singing Bess. (laughs) 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 Do you feel like that bitch? No. <laughs> and you're so <laughs> humble. You're so humble, Thank but like you. I'm like, girl, like girl, you're opening the Met. Like you're best, and you're opening the season, and you've done Thank it you. twice now, and won two Grammys. Can you talk a little bit about? I mean, obviously, Best and Fire are two very different operas. Mm-hmm. One is 21st century, one is 20th century. Very different roles. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between singing those? Um, and if you want to t- tell your Grammy experience, and and, and, and <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. why are you laughing? Why are you laughing?
4: I I'm I don't know. I'm laughing because I I feel like I feel like saying that I have two Grammys is crazy, and I but I I know that I know that they're not a result of me just me, you know. Yeah. I I when I was yeah. talking about Aida, I mentioned that me and the orchestra, the conductor, were all an ensemble, and when I think of Porgy and Bess. And fire shut up in my bones. I don't know that I've ever been in an opera where the cast, everybody, everybody involved was just it felt like 100% on board. So when you say two-time Grammy winner, I just think, you know, I'm really thankful that I was a part of that. I was, I'm really thankful that I got to be in those casts with those amazing artists, with that orchestra. The Met Orchestra yeah. is just, they're on another yeah. level. You know, I just went on, thank um, God, I just went on tour with them and um, working with Yannick Nizese again, David Robertson, and um, James Robinson as the director. It was just really great. I mean, I don't know, do I feel like that that girl... No, I feel like that girl who has a whole bunch of books in her hand and she's like, I got to go study. I got to go work on this. I got to go. I'll see you. Okay. Dinner tonight. Okay, great. I am going to try to be finished. by. okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah. Um, because I, I think that I heard Renee Fleming say that I, I, she was asked, does the pressure go away? As you get higher and higher in your job or you, you know, you grow more and more in your career, does the pressure go away? Is there ever a time where you feel like, okay, I've arrived? And she said, no. She said, if anything, it gets worse because you're constantly working to stay on a certain level and to, to maintain what you've done. Um Yeah.
3: It actually does. It gets harder. I feel it gets harder, too. And I, you know, it's so funny. I just did a show in Savannah. Um, I was shooting a show and I was starring Mm -hmm. in it (laughs) and producing it and (laughs) co-created it. And it was part of my personal story. And it was so I was I was like, I got to go home and go to sleep and I got to prep for the next day. And it's just such a like it's just so much work that's yes, what it is a lot of yeah. work. so I feel you um yeah. so it's like no I gotta go study yeah and singing opera you know I, I I do a little chirping here and there and it's so I did a recording session in December of some arias and acoustic whatever and in some beautiful gowns and I don't know if you know they <laughs> read the Franklin's um quote beautiful gowns and that's what I would say about my um, vocal performance back in December beautiful gowns that's um, hilarious <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, I literally <laughs> wanted to. I went to re-record some of them yesterday, and we'll see if it, if it's better. It's just it never stops being hard. Yeah. So I love that you say when you think about those experiences, you think about all the people and the support, and that it is a group effort and that it is an ensemble. Because that's my experience too. You know, mm-hmm. the SAG Awards or the or the Emmy I have that you know is something that I share yeah. with colleagues. Okay, it's that time again. We'll be right back.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Hi, I'm Glennon Doyle, author of
1: Untamed and host of the podcast We Can Do Hard Things. On We Can Do Hard Things, my wife, Abby, my sister, Amanda, and I do the only thing we've found that has ever made life any easier. We drop the fake and we just talk really raw and honestly about all all the hard parts of life. So come on over and join us and some of our friends and greatest heroes like former First Lady Michelle Obama, Tracy Ellis Ross, Gloria Steinem, Elizabeth Gilbert, Brandy Carlisle, Brene Brown, and our beloved community, the Pod Squad. You'll hear refreshingly honest conversations, trust me, about sex, gender, parenting, blended families, our bodies, anxiety, addiction feeling overwhelmed, just all of it. Life is hard, so let's do it together. Meet us every Tuesday and Thursday for We Can Do Hard Things, one of Apple and Spotify's top shared podcasts of 2023. Listen to and follow We Can Do Hard Things, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and everywhere you get your podcasts.
2: Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad, is betrothal written in the Star's for the eligible bachelor. And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're back.
3: You know, you're working on Trovatore, yes. and we've heard a little bit of your Trovatore. When you were doing still on social media and you did a virtual concert, you sang Tace La Notte yes. in your basement, I think. Yes. And you also say a song that I'm aware of twice, um, D'Amor, Zuale. I never say that right. D'Amor Zuale, Zuale Rose. D'Amor Sulali." Sulali Rose. Damo Sulali Rose. Um, You sang it in Philadelphia, and you sang it at the Met New Year's Eve. Oh yes, I love you in that music, and it was it was so good. The Philadelphia one was like you really killed it. Thank you. I was talking to my voice teacher about Trovatore. Mm-hmm. It's written in such a beautiful way. And um, Ira says that it's really Verity's last sort of bel canto opera. There were different f- periods in Verity's life in terms of how it evolved. And there's something that so, makes so much sense about the way that Trovatore is written that is wonderful. Can you talk about the differences between Aida and Traviata and what you're finding as you prepare to sing? Leonora.
4: Well, Aida and Aida was written, I believe is 20 years after yes. La Traviata and Il Trovatore. So if you think just in terms of us as people, you know, how I was when I was 20 versus 20 years later, yeah. very different person. Some of the ideas in my head are still the same. You know, I believe mm-hmm. that my heart's still the same, but I'm much more organized, but a different person. You know, I even, I approach music differently. I'm married. You know, I approach having a relationship differently. Um, the biggest difference I would say in in the music for me, as a, I would call myself a newbie Verdi and soprano. I just made that up right now. And I say that because there are people who have been singing Verdi for, you know, to that 20 years, that 30 years, and, and their take on it will be vastly different than mine. Mm-hmm. Um, as someone who loves La Traviata, not just singing it, but just loves the opera, I would say that I'm more in touch with Il Trovatore at the moment, probably because it was written at the same Around the same time, I think it was uh, La Traviata, Rigoletto, and also Trovatore that Verdi wrote as kind of considered his trilogy. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, years later, he he has this Aida. Um, but I find what's fascinating about it is that the 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 youthfulness I feel of Leonora and Violetta is, I feel my own opinion is that it's it's really embodied in where he writes the music for the soprano. Yes. versus Aida, even though she's supposed to be a young princess, it's it's more for a mature woman, you know? And mm. I, I consider myself a mature woman for sure. But I, I mean, for me, you know, Laverne, I, I said this when we were having dinner a few months back. I, I approach music, all of it, the same way. All of it. You know, I want to try to sing it as best as I can and and just let that be... Let that be it for me. I'm not trying to copy anybody. I mean, I listen to a ton of sopranos. I listen to sopranos today who sing the same repertoire that I do because I'm trying to learn. You know, we're all singing the same music. Yeah. But what's great about it is that we're bringing, you know, you said that you were in Savannah shooting, talking about your story. That's unique to you. And yeah. when you take your story and you put your story into Verity from 1853, I take Angel Blue from Apple Valley, California, who went to school two hours away from her house in LA, in East LA, and then had to go back on Metrolink. When I put all of that into La Traviata, into Il Trovatore, into Aida, then that's my Aida. That's my Trovatore. That's my Traviata, because that's my story, you know, and, yes. and I don't know if I'm answering the question, but... For sure, those facets that, that is essential to singing is bringing who you are into the music. I'm not trying to be Leontine Price. I have the utmost respect for her. I have the utmost respect for Miss Grace. I mean, Miss Grace, I have the ability to call Miss Grace on the phone, a legend, and ask her questions. She's
3: referring to Grace Bunbury. Sorry,
4: yes, Grace Bunbury. Yes. and I could call her and ask her. You know, I I said to her, I said, should I be singing Aida? I, you know, be honest with me. And trust me, she was honest with me too. And she, <laughs> said, you know, she was honest with me. Yes, you indeed. know, and she yeah. she said, of course you should. Well, why not? You know, and and I said, well, you know, it's a, I haven't done the other the other verity. She said, there's no recipe for this thing.
3: There are, really isn't a recipe.
4: So you you got to coach with
3: Miss um, Brumber, yes, on um some of Aida before she passed. May she rest no, in peace. You, you did not get to. No, with-
4: no, we didn't get to coach. I was going to go see her in Vienna, um, but it didn't it mm. didn't work out with my with my schedule and with hers. Good grief. I mean, she was busy, but you know, I I cherish those moments of of just being able to talk to her about. Opera in any way, but not not just opera. You know, we had a, a bit of a chat about life too. And actually, she mm. <laughs> she you know she's actually one of the first people when I said to her uh, that I feel like I have to have mm-hmm. social media, and she goes, "But why?" She always had this grandmother thing with me, which I appreciate. But she was just really a lovely woman. I mean, whenever I saw her, I just kind of always felt like I just needed to say thank you, mm-hmm. you know, just thank you, thank you so much for. For the excellence that you showed, I mean, what a great name for her too, Grace, for such a time Mm -hmm. as that, you know, for the Mm -hmm. time that she lived in, to, to be able to have Grace, to be able to move through the world elegantly at a time when people didn't want to see you didn't want you to have a a place.
3: absolutely. But
4: boy, did she have a place and boy, does she
0: still have
3: one. For the listeners, what Angel's referring to is that in in the 1950s and 60s for Black opera singers, it was very difficult. Mm -hmm. There was space that had been created by Marian Anderson and Leontine Price, but it was still very difficult. And Leontine would never speak of the difficulties others would, which I found really interesting. Grace did a little bit. You know, there was just a lot of racism all over Europe and the United States that they dealt with with and every single one of those singers from that generation when you hear um, Shirley Verrett speak or Grace Bumbry or Martina Arroyo or Miss Price or Mary Anderson, all of them talk about faith all of them talk about faith and I because I think about you know how does one, with Lillian for example, in 1955, when she sang Tosca on NBC and they were protests, people were protesting yeah. NBC. Can you imagine, you know, you're no. singing, um, as you're singing Tosca in English on TV? Yeah. Like, it's, you know, she's the first really black person to have any leading role <laughs> on TV in 1955. It's the early stages of television and people are protesting an opera. They didn't air it in the South, her home right. state didn't air it, you know, and she, Whenever she talks about it, she says, all I was focused on was had I rehearsed enough with my flexibility where I needed it to be so I can make the impact that I needed to make. I just, I, I when I think about that, it just endlessly inspires me because yeah. it just, she always talks about keeping first things first. It's like, yes. the, it's all this, she calls it fluttering and noise. And it's like, noise. you just have to focus on first things first. And that is such... An incredible lesson for everyone, but then what a path, you know, that was laid for for you, specifically for opera singers. But I I take it as a path for me, too, as an artist, as an actor, and um, the other things that I do. Speaking of, of, you know, these sorts of things, you made headlines last <laughs> year when you dropped out. And you can say whatever you want to say about this, but I know you haven't really talked about this since. Um, it's not that I'm aware of, uh, publicly. And, um, in, I think it was Rome. I think it was uh, Arena di Verona. Anna Netrebko had sung Aida in blackface. And that is a tradition that has really existed in opera. For, since in, Aida, his existence. <laughs>
4: yes, since its inception.
3: So Otello and Aida are often sung, if if a white singer sings those roles historically, yes. they would wear blackface. And um, you decided you were supposed to sing Traviata at the Arena <laughs> di Verona. And when you saw and found out that they were still doing blackface, you decided to drop out. What would you like to say about that decision? Um, It's a, about a year later, and yes. and it was a mm-hmm. moment. It got a lot of press. Yes. And you also went off social media around the same time that, that you withdrew.
4: Yes. Well, you know, I I feel like, first of all, I want to say I love Anna Trepko. I've always liked her. I, I first heard her sing when I was about I, I think I was a junior in college, and she had her album called Sempre Libera. And because I sang the Aria in pageants, my dad bought the her her CD for me. And I listen to it in my car all the time. Mm. So, you know, I, I think the first thing I want to say is that it, it should be known. And, and hopefully most people do know that I, I adore her. Um, I adore her artistry. So it wasn't about her. It wasn't about her. But I, I, I've never said that. You know, I've never. And I I... I don't really know that there's anything to say about my decision. Um, You know, I'd still stand firmly on what I said because I believe what I said. Um, You know, it wasn't I'm not somebody who I I mean, I I get attention when I stand on stage to sing. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. (laughs) Um, So it's not like I was saying that to to get attention or or anything.
3: What did you do? Can Can you remind the audience what you said?
4: Um, well, with some help from my publicist, <laughs> I, I basically, uh, I saw photos just to explain what happened. I was in, I was singing in Paris. So I'm an international opera singer. So I sing all over the place, thankfully. And I was singing at, um, Paris opera and, I was in the bed with my husband and we were looking at pictures. I was scrolling on my phone and I got a text message from a friend that said, have you seen this photo? And it was initially a picture of a dancer at, um, Arena di Verona, which by the way is an amazing opera house. And I just want to say what a privilege it is to be asked to sing there. And I've been, I've been contracted there 2020, 2021 and 2022. And, you know, um, you know they they and they did ask me to come back this year, but I wasn't able to because I, I had uh, previous engagements. But I was looking at this at this photo and I thought, I said, well what is this? And my friend said, This is this is their production of Aida at at Arena di Verona. And I said, Oh, really? And then I said, Okay. I said, well that's that's strange. You know, I, I didn't know that. That's weird. And then um yeah. probably about a day or two later uh, then I saw, because I'm a fan, I'm a, I'm a fan of, of, of Nitropko's and I saw it on her page. Um, and I also, other people sent it to me and, um, you know, all I can say and, and, you know, people can say whatever they want to say. People will always say what they want to yeah. say and, and rightfully Indeed. so fine. You, you, you should be able to, you know, um, hopefully it's not something that that's hurtful, but w- what I said was after I saw the photo, sorry, I'm all over the place, Laverne, excuse me. No, no, no. What I, what you. I, what, thank you. What I said was that what I saw was blackface. To me, it was blackface. I understand people are like, ah, but you know, there's, um, it's just makeup. It's theater. Um, I had a, a good friend of mine actually said, "Angels, just theater. What are you doing? You know, the, the, we wear makeup all the time." And um, I said that I didn't agree with it. I, I didn't in, in my heart, I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that I could go and sing La Traviata to the best of my ability, knowing that, understanding where this, where the makeup came from, what the tradition mm-hmm. stood for. I, I don't remember exactly what I said. I could probably find it on my phone somewhere. Wow. Um, but but to me, you know, Laverne, we're talking about La Traviata. We're talking about Il Trovatore. We've talked about La Boheme. None of those characters are Black. and. I'm, I know the audience can't see me, but I'm a five foot, eleven and a half, basically six foot tall, plus size black woman, dark skinned black woman. I have never been asked to change how I look to sing a role. I've played no. characters who are Parisian and dying of consumption. I know I don't look like I'm dying of consumption, you know. And um, and if, if the audience has enough imagination to believe that I can be Mimi or that I can be Violetta, then surely a great singer those great singers who come through Arena di Verona don't necessarily need that makeup. That's how I feel. Yeah. That was just my yeah. heart, and I can understand. Mm. I totally understand the opposite side of it, though. I understand, you know, someone saying, "No, oh, Angel, uh, you know, they're taking it too seriously." That's not the, the blackface is totally different. You know, the makeup doesn't look like that. But to me, in my heart, it 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 didn't need to be done, and uh, that's not a, a fault on anyone really. It's just what I felt. You know, you and I both, we, we grew up in church. We've talked about our moms in church and how they are. And you've told me that your mom will go into church and read people for filth. And, you know,
1: and,
4: absolutely. You know, and and we that's 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 part of our culture. That's part of who we are. There are people who don't like church. There are people who will get mad because you grew up in church. But what am I supposed to do? Change that because that's my heart. That's where I am. That's where I, that's that's me. And, you know, yeah. I, I, I I got off of social media because there was no reason to argue. There was no mm-hmm. whatever sparked that kind of um conversation I, I didn't want to be a part of that because yeah. it was there was some of it that was really ugly and and yeah. to miss Bumbury that was very disrespectful, and i wasn't going to have any part of that mm. so what I will say
3: to you uh, is that I, what was lovely about on social media, I follow a number of you know opera singers and and people who are just used to be in the classical world a lot of um Singers appreciated you making the the decision that you made not to sing at Arena di Verona. That there was a lot of love and there was a lot of understanding, and and I think a lot of people didn't fully understand until you had that moment, right? That that I, I think you in withdrawing, even though it was just a very personal decision for you, that you brought more attention to that, the fact that this is still happening in opera. And it's something that a lot of people do believe should be reconsidered. I'm one of those people who thinks it should be reconsidered, that we don't need the, the dark makeup for Aida. I don't think we need to do that anymore. So I, what was beautiful, you know, a year later, I think you should hear, is that I think it... Um, part of the conversation that happened, I think was necessary and a very positive one because you made that decision. And I know that's not necessarily what you intended. You were just like, you couldn't, you couldn't <laughs> thing there. Um, you wouldn't have been able to give your best, but there have been positive things that have come out of it. And, you yes. should know that.
4: and, and I, and I do want to say the production they're doing this year doesn't have blackface. Mm. You know, they said it was the decision, I believe of the director who decided not to go that route with it and to, to change it, you know, and, you know, opera is is such a fun make-believe place. And I I, I understand that that makeup is part of the make-believe. I have makeup on right now. I have fake eyelashes and all of this. You know, I forgot the nails, but I got makeup on, you know, my hair is straightened right now. And it's not like, you know, this is not how my husband, Adam, sees me. He will not see me like this tonight. I will look very different this evening. <laughs> okay. But opera is,
3: I mean, people are singing everything. It's—it's it, There's something kind of ridiculous and wonderful about opera that I love. You know,
4: I'm just, thank you for, for asking me about, specifically about that. Because I, I haven't, I've shied away from talking about it just because I don't want to have any arguments or heavy discussions about things i mean i don't know i love you laverne and i i enjoy spending time with you you're a wonderful person you've been ever since i met you in 2019 you've just been such a blessing to me you know i Mm. that's all i have to say i don't mean we could wrap on that if you wanted to but i i just (laughs) i love you so much i love
3: you too darling. I end the podcast with the question, what else is true? And it comes from my therapy, my trauma-resilience okay. therapy, and the idea of both and. When life is challenging us, when things are really, really hard, we can focus on that thing that's hard and difficult. Mm-hmm. Or we can choose to focus on the things that give us strength, the things that give us hope, the things that help us get through. And so for you today, Angel Joy Blue, what else <laughs> is true? That rhymed.
4: <laughs> <laughs> what else is true is just that... Oh, Laverne, don't get mad at me. I'm not trying to be preachy. God loves you. God mm. loves you. God loves your audience. God loves you. And I am mm. i don't know what is true. It's just that I'm blessed. I'm thankful. And uh, there's a lot of hard things happening in the world. There's a lot of difficulty, a lot of things that are hard to just get through. But, you know, knowing that, knowing that there's a God in heaven who loves us, for me, that's everything.
3: Yeah. What I would say to those people out there who are not necessarily religious, because I, I don't consider myself a religious person, but I consider myself a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. I think it's believing in something bigger than you oh, and <laughs> a power yes. that is greater than you, I think is, it's been very essential for my life. It's been very necessary. And I know I left the church, but I never left God. Yes. I never, ever had a moment. I've never, ever had a moment in my life where I doubted the presence of God in my life. Beautiful. I have issues with religion, but I've never had issues with God and what God is, is doing and how God is operating. And I haven't always understood the path that uh, my higher power wants for me, but, but I'll understand it better by and by.
4: So,
3: uh, yes, by um,
4: and
3: by. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, honey. We'll understand it better <laughs> by and by. That is a great note to end on. You're such a beautiful light and so talented. And I just, I love, I love talent. And, and, you, and your heart is just as is, is big as your talent. Thank you. I love you,
4: Angel. Love you too. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Angel Blue. Just to think about a voice Particularly the soprano voice, that sound, that frequency is just the most beautiful thing in the world to me. Do you feel that? That soprano frequency, that note, that phrase, that vulnerability, that the fragility of the human voice, the power at the same time, the fragile with the powerful. Mm, I just love it. I love it. And I love Angel and her commitment to the gift and to the craft and to study. I love the idea of of being a perpetual student. I feel like a perpetual student of life, of art. And perhaps that's a life lesson as accomplished as we all can be. We are still students. Historically, opera singers, too, have been very mysterious and very aloof. And Angel is the opposite of that. Her transparency and her sort of sharing her struggles is something that is so necessary because it's important for us to know that everybody struggles, that everybody goes through something. And um, I think the lesson for me is endless possibility through hard work. And it's, you know... (laughs) I don't want to, like, lean into bootstrap narratives or anything like that. But I, I think there's just something wonderful about working hard and, and enjoying the process of working hard, doing something that you love. You know, hard work doing something you hate is terrible. It's a terrible thing. But when you love something and you really want to be good at it, you know, the work just comes because you're just so passionate. Angel and I, I think, share that in common, the passion for the work and the passion for getting better. Music from San Francisco Opera's Il Trovatore is courtesy of Angel Joy Blue and a big thank you to the Philadelphia Orchestra for providing the audio of Angel singing Da Rose from Il Trovatore by Verdi, which she performed with them in September of 2020. She'll be back with the Philadelphia Orchestra next June 2024. Thank you for listening to the Laverne Cox Show. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share with everyone you know. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, aka X, and TikTok at Laverne Cox, and on Facebook at Laverne Cox for Real. Until next time, stay in the love. The Laverne Cox Show is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: Hi, I'm Glennon Doyle, author of Untamed and host of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. On We Can Do Hard Things, my wife, Abby, my sister, Amanda, and I do the only thing we've found that has ever made life any easier. We drop the fake and we just talk really raw and honestly about all the hard parts of life. So come on over and join us and some of our friends and greatest heroes like former First Lady Michelle Obama, Tracy Ellis Ross, Gloria Steinem, Elizabeth Gilbert, Brandi Carlisle, Brene Brown, and our beloved community, the Pod Squad. You'll hear refreshingly honest conversations, trust me, about sex, gender, parenting, blended families, our bodies, anxiety, addiction, feeling overwhelmed, just all of it. Life is hard, so let's do it together. Meet us every Tuesday and Thursday for We Can Do Hard Things, one of Apple and Spotify's top shared podcasts of 2023. Listen to and follow We Can Do Hard Things, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and everywhere you get your podcasts.
2: Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.